Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Billions of dollars. Billions of dollars, with a B, is how much product this man has sold through all sorts of marketing outlets, but specifically through TV and infomercials. Kevin Harrington is the interview today, and he is the inventor, the original person who came up with the concept of infomercials. You're going to hear the story about how that happened, and more importantly, all of the lessons that he has learned over decades about marketing to the masses, particularly when it comes to getting people to actually pull out their credit card and buy something. But also, it's just powerful to hear his story about the way that he's collaborated with people. He is one of the sharks from Shark Tank, one of the original sharks from Shark Tank, and just a, a true entrepreneur, a true like American legend in the world of business and investing and certainly in marketing and sales. And so there's a lot of great tools in here. The other thing is hearing his marketing strategy and the way that he approaches ad spend. So, you know, Brand Builders Group, phase three, those of you that follow us, our formal curriculum in phase three is where we get into paid advertising spend. And we talk a lot about that in this episode. We get Kevin's philosophy. So just a really rare experience to sit down with one of the sharks and and somebody who's owned hundreds of companies and uh, has built a lot of wealth, made a huge impact, and as you'll find out, is really a wonderful, amazing guy. So it's a fantastic episode. I'm so glad that you're here. We'll get started just after this message. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. I'm so excited to introduce you to, this is one of those people where it's like, if you ever sat next to him on the airplane, you would have hit the jackpot and the lottery and you, you might not realize who you were sitting next to, but Kevin Harrington is a man that people literally try to strategize how they can get close to. Um, he has become a celebrity in the world of entrepreneurs and inventors. You probably recognize him. He was uh, one of the original sharks, the original shark, the first shark 
uh, I, I believe that was selected to Shark Tank, which has now been super successful. He is also one of the founders of, of infomercials and as seen on TV, like he's one of the pioneers of that whole movement. He actually is the co-founder of Entrepreneurs Organization, which my wife and I are members of. I've spoken at several of their events um, around, the, uh, around the globe, around the country in my case, but it's an international organization. And uh, he has seen over 50,000 pitches um, launched more than 500 products, generating $5 billion in sales. Um, he also is the creator of the Secrets of Closing the Sale Masterclass, which is inspired by Zig Ziglar. So he, uh, Zig Ziglar wrote a book, Secrets of Closing the Sale. It's just been re-released with him and Kevin Harrington. Um, obviously, Zig has been passed away for seven, eight years now, but uh, was a mentor to me personally and also um, to Kevin. So. Kevin, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for making time. Rory, thank you. Great to be here. And thanks. It was a very nice introduction. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, man, like, you know, it's one thing to talk about personal branding and yeah, Brand Builders Group, that's what we do, right? We help people build and monetize their personal brand. But really what we study is reputation, is how do you build a reputation? How do you become trusted? And of all the people that I know, that know the most people, I think you're near the top. Like of every like super influential person that I know, you already know them. And I know that your Rolodex goes far beyond that. So, and yet, you know, you've been in the world of sales and marketing for years and years and years. And sometimes reputations go south in those industries. When you're an investor and an entrepreneur, sometimes those deals go south. There's a lot of conflict and there's fallout. And you know, when you get to be your level of celebrity and notoriety, I know that, you know, people sue you for no reason. And, you know, hey. you know like, <laughs> That's, oh. so, yes. so what is your philosophy on reputation in general? Like if we just start there, like yeah. you have, you've been able to keep such a solid reputation over the years. How do you think you've been able to do that? Well, I appreciate that. Well, I think, and, and I'm going to go, all the way back to the beginning, because I think you, you need a foundation. First of all, I think my foundation that I have built my business on is respect for entrepreneurs, number one. And so when you watch Shark Tank, there's Mr. Wonderful. And I always ask people, do you know why he calls himself Mr. Wonderful? Because nobody else will. Okay. Uh, it, he calls himself that because nobody else feels that he may be Mr. Wonderful. Actually, I joke, this is all kind of joking about O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary. But on the show, we'd say he was the bad Kevin. I'm the good Kevin. Now, and, and like, you know, I'll take that. They, you know, I wasn't the one that came up with that. The rest of the sharks were. And it's because when somebody would come out and make a pitch, I wasn't there to tear them down and rip them apart and tell them how stupid their idea was. I wanted to empower them, even if I wasn't going to invest, because entrepreneurs are in a delicate situation. They're fighting against coming home to their family, to their wives, to friends, and talking about how they're giving up their job. They're investing their life savings into their idea. This is not an easy task. <laughs> this is a tough situation. And, you know, to have a full-time job, but be spending money on patents and on this and on that and going on Shark Tank to try to get, you know, an investment from a shark, this is what it's all about. And I think today there's more places to go to get funding. You can do crowdfunding and yeah, you can go on Shark Tank, but 
that's very difficult to get on. But I think going back to day one, when I got started, I was knocking on doors when I was 15 years old, driving a bicycle because I didn't even have a driver's license, getting the door slammed in my face. And so I learned the hard way. I learned, I mean, my father was a bartender, saved up enough money to open up his first bar, Harrington's Irish Pub. And I started working in his bars and restaurants when I was 11 years old, 40 hours a week. So I, you know, worked hard, had to prove myself, had to pay my own way through high school, through college. So I looked at entrepreneurs as people like myself. I was in the trenches building and hustling to become successful. So when they come to me now asking for help and advice, I put myself on their level saying, what would I have to do if I were in their shoes? Pitching me now, the investor that has risen above the ashes sometimes because that's, you know, in the 500 products plus that I've done, more than 300 of them bombed and I lost all my money. So, you know, it's, it's not so easy every day. And I say, Winston Churchill has a great saying, success is being able to go from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it took me a while to, to figure out, hey, I just failed. I've got to learn from that and go to the next step. But it, that's what I do. I've gotten to know you, you know, we, we spent a bit of time together here the last couple of years, which has been awesome. And I think when I look at you as an investor, as a shark, I remember thinking after the first time I spent, you know, like a full day with you, it occurred to me, yeah, you're not a shark at all. I remember you saying that you, you don't even try to negotiate for a good deal. You negotiate for a deal that's good for you and for your other partner. Because I remember you saying that, you know, your philosophy was not, where can I get the best deal? It's one where everybody has a fair deal and everyone is motivated, you know, to win. And that spoke a lot to me. It was a very profound thing where I was like, you know, wow, what a different way to approach negotiating. And I think, you know, in terms of your reputation and, you know, over time, I think that's why people are probably drawn to you because they know that you're fair. And I think I appreciate that. I think when I go back to the early days, I met a gentleman named Arnold Morris at the Philadelphia Home Show, and he was slicing through Coca-Cola cans with a Ginsu knife and mufflers and things. And I cut a deal with him to put him on TV. Now, Arnold said to me, Kevin, and he had his signed contract for the Ginsu and the knife sales. But he said, I've got other people that this is amazing what we're doing. If I bring you other deals, can I get compensated? I said, absolutely. We put an addendum to the contract. He brought Billy Mays and he brought Sandy Mason and Wally Nash others, some of those you may recognize and some you might not, but we did hundreds of millions and billions in sales that came from these projects that Arnold Morris brought, but he got compensated on all of it. And so on his, literally his deathbed, the week that he was passing away, he kind of knew it was coming close and he reached out and his wife said, Arnold needs to talk to you. And I said, oh, my God. And she says, yep, he's getting very close. He had a stroke and this and that. And I said, well, what does he want to talk to me about? And I'm absolutely, I'd love to talk to him. She said, he's got a deal. He wants to pitch you, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is amazing because he had to get this last deal out of his system before 
he could pass. I mean, it was unbelievable the, the way it went down. But, you know, Arnold was an amazing man, did great things for many people. But so people say to me, you know, how do you keep getting all these new products? I said, I'm getting these products from people I've been dealing with for 35 years and 20, 25 years, 10 and 15 years, and people I dealt with two months ago. So it's the Rolodex factor. And as you mentioned, Rory, this is what creates a lot of magic for all of us is, you know, it, I call it the golden Rolodex. And this is part of becoming, you know, as you're branding yourself and, you know, get back to the concept of personal branding and things, creating a golden Rolodex is an important step in that process. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about just, you know, as I think about what can I ask Kevin that I can't ask anyone else is you've sold more on TV than anybody. I mean, I I don't know anyone. It would be only a few people in the world that you could even say has been involved with selling as much on TV. So I'm interested. A couple that are up there in the same ranks, but I never want to say I'm the top guy because there's some pretty successful guys out there, but I'm right there in the top five for sure on a global basis. Moved a lot of product on TV. So one, I'm interested in understanding TV, like in terms of, you know, a lot of people that are building a personal brand, TV is like this holy grail of like, oh my gosh, if I could get on TV, it's like Tony Robbins is on TV and Dean Graziosi is on TV. You know, like you said, like Billy Mays and and all of these like people who become these celebrity workout people, they do infomercials. So one is how does that business work? Like how does that happen? How does someone get their clothing line on QVC or how do they get there? You know, Dean Graziosi has a book, right? And he does an infomercial. Like, how would a person go about doing that if they said, you know what, I think I got a program I could sell on TV. Like, how do you do that? I'll step back a second because there's a couple different angles there. You said, how do you get on QVC? How do you get on TV? Like infomercial. So two different scenarios. But the bottom line is this. TV has been very powerful for many, many years for me. I started back in the early 80s when I was watching, I just got cable TV and I was watching Discovery Channel. It was actually channel 30 of a 30 channel package. And so I went through all the channels, ESPN and 24 Hours of Sports and movies and HBO and MTV Music. I got to ESPN Sports, I think I mentioned, but I got to Discovery Channel and there was nothing on the channel. There was actually just bars on the screen. So I called the cable company and they said, we as a cable company deliver to you what we get from Discovery and they only deliver us an 18 hour a day block. Six hours a day is nothing because they're a startup channel that can't program 24 hours a day. So I went down, cut a deal, bought that six hour block from Discovery, not only locally, but I did a national deal. And so for a number of years, I had exclusive rights to Discovery Channel uh, six hours a day, okay? Now, I was putting Tony Little, Jack LaLanne, George Foreman, you know, all these different types of products, fitness, juicers, you know, kitchen gadgets, whatever, right? And so we had an amazing success for many years putting people on TV. But the way it works is this. There's all this sort of like downtime with all the TV networks and cable networks. There's only a handful of places that won't sell infomercial time. CNN and I think, let's see, CNN and ESPN. 
Those are the two that you will never see a 30 minute infomercial on. But Discovery Channel, Lifetime, all the other channels, a Bravo, we buy tons of time from all of them. So what you do is you buy a block, a 30 minute slot, maybe you pay 5,000 for it, 2,000, 10,000, whatever the number is. In the early days- Is it maybe 2,000 to 10,000? Is that a reasonable yeah, number? That's for cable. Broadcast, you can buy, for example, in Nashville, Tennessee, you could buy 30 minutes on broadcast television on Saturday morning for probably $800 right? 30 minutes that would hit all of Nashville. Okay. I'm in Tampa, Florida. I can buy time here for as little as $500 for a 30 minute slot. And you can even go to cable. The cable guys have some of their own local cable options for even less, maybe $200. So now you buy that time, you produce the video that sells the product. And now when that airs, it's got to generate more than the cost of the time in sales to make money, obviously. So you mentioned Dean Graciosi. He goes into Tampa, Florida, and says to his media buyers, buy $20,000 worth of ads. Now, he's selling his book, but he's also driving people to a seminar. So his is a little bit different. Hey, buy my book, come to the seminar. You know, his liquidation comes when people show up at the seminar, and he sees how much you know, sales he's making from there. But his model is by infomercial time, drive people to a seminar, upsell them into masterminds. But the fitness people that you see, like the Tony Littles, when we're selling the Gazelle, for example, we spend 10,000 in media, we wanna sell 20 to $30,000 worth of Gazelles during that slot. That's how it works. You look for at least a two-time multiple of sales to the cost of the media. So if you spend 10 grand for media, you want to see 20 plus thousand in sales coming from that time buy. Amazing. And, and so all over the country. Now, when you say the media, is that like buying the commercials to promote the show or that's just buying like the 30 minute block? That's just buying the 30 minute block. You don't need commercials to promote an infomercial. It's a standalone sales piece. So Saturday morning, Let's say we bought that $800 slot in Nashville on a broadcast station. On Saturday morning, people are up. They're just going from channel to channel to channel in their cable box or their TV. And they, oh, wait a minute. Let me see what this guy, Dean Gracioso, was talking about. Okay. Oh, yeah, well, that's pretty interesting. So they tune in. They get hooked. And this is why you need a good pitch or you need a good presentation in that infomercial because you've got to be able to hook them grab them, and now they're listening, and now they're gonna take action, hopefully. So, you bought that time for $800 in Nashville, you're hoping to get $1,600 to $2,400 in credit card orders from that time buy. That is so amazing. I mean, it's so interesting to me because it's like, this is the original webinar funnel. It's just like, buy traffic, yeah. drive people to a, a one-hour webinar, do a presentation, deliver some value, make an offer, get it to buy. It also blows my mind where you go, why are infomercials always late at night? The reason infomercials are always late at night is because one night Kevin Harrington was sitting in his hotel looking at the Discovery Channel and found out that there were six hours in the middle of the night that nobody else bought and you went and bought it. And that was the downtime. So yeah. talk about the pitch a little bit because 
you know, there's a difference between like selling to a person, you know, in our former life, that was something that we used to do. We used to teach people to, you know, our former company used to do like one-on-one sales coaching. That's very different than selling on a webinar or selling from a stage or selling on an infomercial where you're selling one to many. So what do you think are some of the key principles there? Because the other thing, particularly with TV, is I have to think like people are flipping, they're coming and going. So they may not be sitting watching the 30 minute block. They may only be there for like two or three or five minutes. I mean, so how do you construct that? Like what, let's say you went and bought the $800 because that's reasonable. Yeah. Okay. So now I have $800. How much do I need to spend on producing the show? Like the 30 minutes. And what would I put in that 30 minutes that I could use to like, you know, market my book or my video course or my seminar? So great question. Now you have to understand that when we talk about producing the show, you're not producing it just for that $800 buy. You're producing it to build a media schedule that might be two, three, four hundred thousand a week in media that's generating, let's say you're spending 200,000 a week on $800 time slots, like Nashville time slot, right? So now you're running hundreds of spots that each one is monitored and needs to perform at a two to three to one ratio, sales to media cost, okay? So you say upfront, I talked to Dean about his show that he did with Larry King, for example. I said to Dean, how long did it take you to shoot that show? And he said, Kevin, he said, you won't believe this, but I shot that show live in 30 minutes. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I sat down, you know, Larry King is a professional. He's been doing interviews all his life. I'm a professional. I, we talked a little bit first before we rolled the tape. I gave him a couple questions if he wanted to ask, but we just went live and boom, we got it. He said, we did some more footage just to have some more. But I mean, that was sort of a live to tape, turn the cameras on and film it. Now, he had to do editing because he had testimonials. So he had the one day shoot filming with Larry. Then he had testimonials. Then he had editing. But then he also had one other big cost. What was it? A fee to Larry King. Okay. So Larry King He's probably, and this isn't coming from Dean, so I don't want to say, oh, Dean told me this, but if I had to guess, Larry probably gets anywhere from 75000 to to hundred grand to shoot that show. Plus, he gets a percentage of sales. Wow. So Now, what did Dean spend? He shot one day at Larry's office. He shot a dozen testimonials. He shot, he had to do the editing. He had to pay Larry some money. He probably spent all in somewhere between $150,000 and $200,000 to shoot that infomercial. And that was a pretty easy one to shoot. But he knows that the credibility of Larry is going to take this thing to a pretty good point. And so he's now crushing it. He's, I mean, I've seen his schedules in my local market where he's running on three simultaneously at the same time at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, you might say, what am I doing watching TV at two o'clock in the morning? As a business, I'm in the business. I have to, you know, tune in, but I get logs from monitoring services of when these are airing. So I don't have to actually 
be there live at 2 a.m., but I get a log from a company that says, okay, Dean ran his show 122 times last week, and here's where it ran. I can get that information. So I know where he's running, about how much he's spending, because I know what those slots are worth. So if I can do a report and say, okay, Dean ran 122 times, he spent 350,000 in media last week, okay? I mean, that's how sophisticated the industry is. And by the way, this is how people then decide whether they're gonna knock somebody off, okay? They see somebody out there running a lot of media, they know it's working because it's bringing in, nobody's running 350,000 in media if it isn't bringing back a return on investment. You don't, I mean, you find out on 10,000 in media whether it's working, you don't roll it out to 350 unless you're getting that return on investment. Uh-huh, and this is like, you said you're, you're either calling a media buyer, you know, at that scale, but if you're yeah. doing local, you're just gonna go to your like local cable channel and, or like, you just call broadcasting. Up, like, so like, it's no problem, me or you, like I could call my local Tampa TV stations, you could call your local Nashville stations, whatever, you know, we can all make a couple of phone calls. It's on the rollout, like when I said Dean's doing 350 a week, when we did the Gazelle, with Tony Little, that was a, over a million a week in media spend, generating over two million in sales a week. But that was hundreds and hundreds of slots. If you're spending a million dollars at 8,000 for some, 800 for others, somebody has to monitor that and they have to buy it, then there's a traffic department that it goes through, because you've got to, you buy it, then you send the tape, you got to have an 800 number that's tagged to that specific station so that when the sales come in, you know what 800 number is tracked to that station. There's all kinds of things happening behind the scenes. So there are media agencies that are in the business of buying media to the tune of them. If it's 300,000 a week, 500,000 a week, a million dollars a week, whatever it may be. Right. So that's no. the important thing. As it's really fascinating. I never understood like the monetary, but even going, okay, a two to one ad spend basically on revenue, you could do the same thing yeah. with Google ads or Facebook ads and, you know, yes. or whatever is say, okay, if I'm going to put $50 in, in terms of Facebook ads, I need to make sure that a hundred dollars comes out before exactly. I go and spend 10 grand on Facebook ads. And so you're yeah. looking for a two to one to three to one ratio. So what about the content itself? Okay, so what needs to happen in that 30 minutes? Uh, Good question. Again, so, I don't think the medium yeah. is that different. I mean, it, maybe it's not TV, maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's on stage, but like what goes in the content? Well, so in the old days, because there have been a few changes in the industry, for 35 years, infomercials worked pretty well. But there's been a little bit of a disruption because there's a lot of people that have cut the cord from cable and aren't, you know, aren't watching TV. There's been a decline in TV viewership. It's been pretty substantial. It's a 50% decline in TV viewership in the last 10 years. And so the question is, where did these viewers go? Well, you just mentioned it. Facebook, Instagram, they've gone to digital outlets, right? Google, YouTube, et cetera. So now, and there's also another issue. 30 minutes is a long time. And let me explain the structure of a 30-minute show. There's three 10-minute pods in a 30-minute show. Each one of the pods 
has a three-step selling system that I'm going to call the T's, the pleas, and the C's, all within each 10 minutes. T's, please, C's, T's, please, C's, T's, please, C's. You tease them with an attention-getting problem. You please them with solutions to the problem, benefits to the product or service, magical transformations, some kind of demonstration maybe, but magical transformation is a very powerful please. You see a before and an after, right? And then you seize by, by having an irresistible offer. So tease with an attention-getting problem, please by solving the problem with magical transformations, and seize creating an irresistible offer. And you do that three times in each 10-minute uh, segment of a 30-minute show. So that's kind of the blueprint for producing an infomercial. Wow. I love that. And so it's really just a 10 minute. Really all you're doing is creating a 10 minute and then you're just repeating the same. You don't actually, there are some people that actually just do one 10 minute, repeat it three times. I don't like to do that because if people sense that, but the formula, yeah. So, I mean, what we'll do is you can tease, please, and seize, but you just use different testimonials and it's going to be the same seeds, the same irresistible offer in all three closes, but you don't necessarily have the same content teasing and pleasing along the way. Wow. That is so interesting. I mean, it's such a simple process, but it's also very sophisticated in terms of knowing the dollars and which markets are producing. and it blows my mind though how like this is even though people might not say it this was the genesis of webinar funnels and video yep. you know any modality of selling on camera like this was where that started i'm going to give you a good example of something that we learned quite a bit on a guy came in my office one day to do a he had a fishing lure and he'd been watching tony little and george foreman and jack lane and all these great things we're doing and he he puts this lure in front of me he says hey, this is the most amazing lure. You're going to want to do this. And I said, why is it so amazing? And he said, I have a patent. He said, all lures hit the water, drop straight down. Mine hits the water and it's reverse rigged to swim away like a wounded fish. And so I said, I'd love to see that in operation. We went out and showed how it was swimming away and fish were attacking this lure. We had this big hog trough, 20 foot long um, fish tank that we cast the lure in and saw some amazing demonstrations catching fish that lures were going straight down regular lures fish were just watching them drop the flying lure went in and they're chasing it around and biting it and catching fish so when we first tested the show we ran on a lot of cable networks and the media buyers called back and said the show didn't work i don't think fishing is going to be a good category it's not successful and I said, let me get some demographics. I want to see where the orders came from. You know, fishing is, you know, maybe it's not so universal. We found LA and New York, it didn't have hardly any traction, but in Missouri and Ohio and Michigan and various areas where there was lakes, it was crushing it. So people aren't in New York City going out and fishing every weekend, but in Kansas City, they would love to go fishing on the weekends, the lakes and places around. So now we stopped running cable, and we went back in. So our cable for you know 10 grand in media was generating 5,000 in sales. 
But when we went and targeted local markets like Nashville, Cincinnati, Duluth, Minnesota, we were doing five to one on our buys because we were crushing it in these local markets. So we decided we got to stay away from the coastal communities. This is not a fishing lure because first of all, fishing lures are generally kind of fresh water and in New York and LA, they're on the ocean. So we don't even have a product yet for that. But in the central parts of the United States, we crushed it. This product went on to do 500 million lures at a dollar a piece. 20 to a pack, 20 bucks for 20 lures, $500 million in sales because we tracked it and focused on buying time where it worked. Wow. Kevin, I could talk to you all day about lots of stuff. We are out of time. Where should people go? I know you have, you know, the secrets of closing the sale book with Zig Ziglar just came out. You have your secrets of closing the sale masterclass, which, you know, maybe we'll put a link to or we'll we'll share audience when you open that class up. But where should people go to connect with you and you know if they want to stay in touch? My website's a great place because we have some free reports and some free books and chapters and things. It's kevinharrington.tv. And Harrington spelled H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. So kevinharrington.tv is my website. Got a lot of good content there and you can see some videos and see some things we've done over the years. But we also I'm actively still looking for great products, great relationships. I sit on several board of directors of public companies and um, I love doing that and helping, you know, I invest money, I help raise money, definitely am available for entrepreneurs looking to take their business, their idea, their service to the next level. It's a good place to start kevinharrington.tv. I love it. So last little thing, At some point in your journey, you must have bumped up against some walls. I know that it's been several times, right? And it's a long way between the guy who was on Shark Tank and, you know, that kid that was knocking on doors and there were got to be several setbacks. And my guess is that there's somebody listening right now who is trying to build a reputation either as an entrepreneur or an influencer, and they're probably in one of those darker times. What would you say to that person right now? So it's a great question. 25 years ago, I was sitting with a $100 million business. We were doing $2 million a week in sales. We had 10 products. And one day, thought I was on top of the world. Walked into my office on a Monday morning and my CFO said, I got terrible news. The bank just grabbed $2 million out of our account to apply as a reserve against future returns and chargebacks. And I said, they allowed to do that. He said, in the contract, they have every right to increase the reserve and just grab the money out of our account. Okay. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I actually signed that. But when you get those big, thick documents, when you get a merchant account, somewhere in there, you know, they can basically tell you, you know more and grab the monies that are coming through for processing. And so we were technically out of business at that point. I went from, you know, being the king of, of infomercials you know, to potentially being at the bottom of the barrel. And because that 2 million was my working capital. I didn't have 10 million sitting in the bank, okay? I was a young entrepreneur. I had, that was my cash flow. That was my payroll. That was my media dollars, my inventory dollars. Basically, we couldn't make payroll that week then. And the bank, you know, whether they knew what they were doing or not, they didn't care at the time. Now, we figured out a way to get around some of this. We 
hold a lot of great advisors to the table because they technically put us out of business. And it was a very demoralizing time of my life. And we had to do some massive things, you know, to make that all happen and save the company. But we ended up pulling out of it, coming out smelling like a rose. But the only thing I can say is this, is that I, all my life, have looked to mentors and folks to be part of my team. Because in the early, early days, I tried to do it all myself. I realized I can't do it all myself. I'm not the operations guy, the finance guy, the guru of finance, but I brought in gurus of finance. So one of my guys went up against the bank and knew how to kind of get them to come to the table. We ended up getting 1.6 million of that 2 million back. So we did give them 400,000, but we saved the day, got some money back, but it took 30 days to pull all this off. So the bottom line is, is that this is kind of what I do now for entrepreneurs. I'm a mentor, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant, I'm an advisor, I join boards, I join advisory boards for the right kind of opportunities. I'm out there looking for great companies to be an advisor to because sometimes I've seen people make the same mistakes with things that I was confronted with in the past and I can show people, entrepreneurs, how to deal with these things without letting it take you down. So bottom line is you, 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 not, you know, kind of need to know that there's a good group of people out there that may be available for you to be mentors in your business. And I, you know, just like I started off talking about how Zig Ziglar was a mentor to you, Rory, to me, um, absolutely. I've had Richard Branson help me with some digital things at one point. I went to Necker Island, hung out with him for a couple days. My father mentored me, Mark Burnett mentored me. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a successful entrepreneur. I'm an original shark from Shark Tank, but I'm a, a product of many other mentors that have helped me become what I am. And I think that's, uh, I'm the first to say that I couldn't have done it all my, on my own. And I, and I, I look to, to outside resources to help me manage my entities and my businesses. And hopefully folks that are out there can, can learn from that too. I love that. That is so cool. I think uh, that's been the big surprise for AJ and I with Brand Builders Group. It's turned into such a community of people supporting yeah. each other and uh, getting to learn from people like you is just incredible. So thank you for your inspiration and your story and your friendship and uh, we wish you the best. You bet. Take care, buddy. Good being here today. Thanks. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. 
Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 